Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today, we're doing something a little different and a little special because my good friend Christopher Gare has a brand new book out, and uh, we're just talking about it lots and lots and sharing it with brand new people. Um, This is a new edition for him. It's a new genre, and uh, the book isn't even available yet. The book is coming out at the end of the month, right, Christopher? Yes, it is. May 31st. Excellent. I am so excited about this. I love being able to help my friends promote their work, and um, especially you as one of the, the gentle people in my tribe. I, I really love to be able to... And you're such a great writer. Okay. Diana's going to gush a lot in this episode, everybody, just to warn you. All right? Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Christopher. He is a Michigan-based author who wrote his first puppet play in first grade. I forgot about that. And continued writing in one form or another from that point on. Much of it was crap. (laughs) As it always is. But there were tiny little nuggets of potential mixed in with the likes of Pickle Pony Gets a Puzzle. Okay, you have to come back and read that one for us. He spent three years at Fraser High School performing plays and then attended Grand Valley State University where he graduated with degrees in film and video and, ta-da, creative writing. Um, The first professional piece Christopher completed was Honor Unbound, a historical nonfiction novel he co-wrote with retired Fraser High School teacher Diane Abbott. He then went solo donned the pseudonym Cage Allen and wrote several comedy novels within the LGBTQ genre and continued a series of comedic anthologies affectionately known as the Buttthology, which is an interesting combination of words to say together, folks. Uh, Christopher shed his pseudonym in 2017 and has since published under his real name starting and continuing on with the Falling Awake series, a series of a serious departure from his previous comedic novels. And everybody, if you have not read these yet, you need to. They're spectacular. Okay, told you I was going to gush. Uh, when not writing and editing, Christopher spends his days tormenting management <laughs> at his day job, uh, shopping at Aldi, being bossed around by the dog he inherited from his mother, playing Holo, uh, Halo, listening to music, and going to see the motels playing concert whenever they are in the area. And I'm sure you're back to being happy that the world is open again. Especially because next month I get to go see the motels down in Ohio again. So What fun! Yes. Yay! 
Um, so this book is a departure for you, and, and I really want to get into hearing you read, but I just have a couple of questions. Um, this book is called The Beautiful Moment, and it is LGBTQ romance. Um, this is completely different from anything else you've written before. So I'm curious, since this is a special edition, I'm going to ask a couple extra questions. I'm curious about what made you decide romance over the myriad other genres you could have chosen. There was a conscious decision after the fourth Falling Awake book came out that I wanted to diversify a little bit. The reason being, like you've gone out and you started doing author events again, mm -hmm. I want to do that too. But under my name, I've got one historical and a series of four. Historical doesn't sell that much. People see a series of four, and that, that first book is like the size of a pamphlet. Right. And they're right. like, oh, I'll start with the first book. I have nothing else they're going to be interested in. So I thought, you know what? I really need to write something a little different, something that's outside of the Falling Awake series that I can take with me as a, well, if you're not just interested in this, what about this? And I, I kind of really stumbled over this for a bit, trying to figure out what could I possibly, what, what do I have in my arsenal that I could come up with? And um, as typically happens, I was listening to a piece of music. This one was uh, by Tangerine Dream, who I usually write to, but it was uh, Blue Arctic Danube, I think it was called. And it sounds like, at least the vision in my head is somebody driving in an Arctic wasteland almost, and just very snow, blizzard, ice, and I, we have a place in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and we always, we'd always wondered what it would be like to stay up there during the winter. This music kind of played into that, and I started putting that together. I started putting together a couple events in my life, and I was thinking post-COVID, so maybe starting with something in Lower Michigan that moves up to Upper Michigan during the winter, and the story basically evolved from there, and I introduced a more romantic element than previously, and I've done it purposely. Uh, just to see where it would go. Playing with genre is so much fun. That, that's part of why I've done so many different genres, because it, it's just fun to come up with different stories. Um, and I love discovering new talents that lay dormant inside my favorite authors, so I think everybody's really going to enjoy this new offering from you. Um, I'm glad that you're just writing. That's, I'm, I'm just glad that you haven't stopped. <laughs> You know, I, w I was a little worried that when you finished Falling Awake that, that you were going to be just done because it was a long series. Writing a series is, is tough work. Especially and, a series that was never meant to be a series. Well, right. And, and I knew that as I was reading these and I thought, okay, is he going to write something else now? Because I don't want him to stop. <laughs> you know? so, so I'm really pleased that you took this on. Um, so I'm going to tell everybody about the book, and then you're going to do a little bit of reading for us, right? Yeah, awesome. Okay. So here's the back matter synopsis. It's the decade from hell. First, Wesley Trailer lost his father and grandmother to COVID. Uh, and then, no, I'm sorry. Let me start over. First, Wesley Trailer lost his father and grandmother. Then, COVID took his mother. His sole remaining family member will stop at nothing to steal his inheritance. In desperation, Wesley escapes to Michigan's Upper Peninsula where no one knows him, and he can exist without fear of his uncle's brutality. 
Circumstances force Wesley to the emergency room and to face with, beguil with the beguiling Dr. Matsusa? Pronounce Mark it for Matuda. me. Matuda. Matuda. Oh, the S is silent. See? No, no, no. The S is there. Matsuda. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the last thing Wesley needs between dealing with strange occurrences and his at his new house and emergency surgery is a doctor who's made it his personal mission to get to know Wesley. Destiny offers the possibility of love and, for Wesley, the one thing that has eluded him his entire life, a beautiful moment. And that's the title of this book, A Beautiful Moment. And um, I... The Beautiful Moment. No, but... Right. The Beautiful Moment. See, I get my articles confused. No, see, no, a couple of folks uh, who, had, who had been editing for me, even my cover artist, kept saying, why did you use the instead of a? And I'm like, you have to read it. You'll get it. <laughs> Right. Okay, good. See, this is a brand new book. I haven't even read it yet. I don't know why I wasn't provided with an ARC, but, you know. Did he ask for one? Well, okay, no. <laughs> I'm asking now. Send me a book, would you? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, you can find in the show notes for this episode, you can find a link to Christopher's website and a link to the book on Amazon. Um and and as I said, this is this is really special for me because um, I am probably Michigan's greatest Christopher Gare fan. So um, I love this. So I, I'm I'm having a great time. Okay, I'm so glad this is a special episode because I get to gush. So, yay! Real quick too, though. Yes, sir. When I, I was teasing about, did you ask for one? I just the uh, place is doing my promotion for me on this. Yeah. They've been handling all of those. Sure. So anyone who's wanted it, I, know. Yes, I will send you a copy of it. I know you're teasing. It's okay. I was planning on buying one. You'll get one. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, okay. Alrighty. I would love to hear this. Um, for those of you who haven't heard any of the preamble um, marketing for this book yet, grab your tissues as I understand you may need them. So uh, with that thought in mind, uh, Christopher, uh, tell us about the sections you're going to read for us today. The, um, this is not the traditional fluffy, super happy type of romance. Uh, we do get to meet Wesley as a child. I believe he's five years old in the very beginning of the story, uh, the first chapter or so. So I'm going to do a little, little introduction to what his life is like at that time. Um, and you can start to see a little bit of, of the mystery that plays into this later on with um, with his family members, and especially with the family members who stay around him seems even after they've passed on. So this um, first little bit, his mother, he, he spent the day with his mother and his grandmother, his great-grandmother, and he's always gone over with his great-grandmother who has dementia, and he walks with her. She puts her hands on his shoulders and he walks her down the, uh, the driveway and around a little bit and he's always watching out and she stays safe and she's perfectly content with that. His uncles, he has two uncles, and they have made his life an absolute misery. You don't really know why they don't like him, they just they can't stand him. They, I think, have this intuition that he's going to be gay, so they're just, they're merciless with him. So this first piece picks up where he's in bed at night after spending the day with his great-grandmother and his mother's coming in to wake him up. Wesley, Andrea sat on the edge of the bed and tussled her son's hair. She should let him sleep. The day had been difficult for him. 
He'd managed to stay away from his uncles most of the time, but they still sought him out. The more things Wesley did for his great-grandmother, and the more praise her own mother gave him for helping, the more Ronald and Terrence went after him. Hey, she gently shook her son. I need you to wake up, little guy. He struggled with the unwelcome rise to consciousness, and his eyes finally fluttered open. Mom? Grandma just called. She tried her best not to let her voice crack, not with this news. There was a good chance he would break down. They'd at least cry together. They'd share that much. Gamma Gamma went away. I know, he whispered. It's okay. He couldn't have heard her correctly. There was no way he could know. How do you... She told me, Wesley beamed. She whispered she loves me, you, Dad, and Grandma. She told me not to be sad because she'll always be with us, and she'll always walk behind me like we did today. Andrea choked back a sob. This was by far not how she'd expected the talk to go, unless he was fibbing, but why would he do that? Wesley had never been one to lie or exaggerate. Not like this. Did she tell you that in a dream? She was standing right next to my bed and said great-grandpa was waiting for her. She looked so happy. She also said we'll see her again one day. Tears blurred Andrea's vision, but she did her best to keep from falling apart. Wesley didn't need to see that, not after taking the news so well. A five-year-old was showing up an adult in the worst way possible when it came to grief. She was supposed to be the strong one, yet one more extraordinary way her son didn't reflect her siblings, and hopefully never would. She still hadn't addressed the day's events with him, and she debated if she should. Wesley, I know you heard Uncle Ronald and Uncle Terrence say some things today that they shouldn't have. You're not a mistake. Your father and I wanted you, and we love you very, very much. We always will, no matter where you or we are. She reached out and grasped his shoulder. Her brothers were some serious expletives, and while they picked on Wesley almost from the day he was born, she'd begun to suspect they were being mean to him in ways she and Jerry hadn't seen and Wesley hadn't told them about. Your uncles don't know any better. They should, but they don't. They don't like me, he whispered. They don't know you. The truth and the heart of the matter. They have no idea how special you are. Wesley closed his eyes and waited for his mother to shut the bedroom door. She looked a little surprised when he told her about Gamma Gamma. Maybe she didn't believe him, and that was okay. He knew Gamma Gamma had visited him, and he remembered every word of their conversation. She told him he'd forget one day, and that would be okay too. For now, though, he continued to bask in the warmth of the memory she left him with. He leaned over, grabbed a little toy flashlight he kept next to him on his nightstand, and held it closer to the ground. There. Side by side, a short distance apart, remained the indentations in the carpet from where Gamma Gamma had stood a little while ago, before his mother came in with the news. Wesley smiled. Love you, Gamma Gamma. So that's where we get to meet him as a child. And then it's going to skip up afterwards to where he is an adult. Uh, his mother has passed, and because his one of the uncles has died, the other uncle is still coming after him, still threatening lawsuits, having him follow. So he manages to set up an escape, and he goes up to Michigan's Upper Peninsula, right on the water, a little bit west of Sault Ste. Marie. And he has spent, I think, a week there so far, and he's just got his first uh, trash can full of things that from unpacking ready to go, so he's going to take that outside. So he's... Uh, I believe 40 years old now in this particular sequence. 
Wesley glanced at the weather forecast on the Google Hub. More snow coming. Lots more snow, actually. At least several hours of it on the cusp of starting shortly. This didn't bode well for the outside cameras, which charged on solar panels. No light, no charge. With all the potential wildlife running around, which would probably set them off, no charge. One thing left to do before he started getting ready to shut things down for the night. The first full trash can since he'd moved in stood outside, ready to, ready to be moved to the street. Wesley almost smiled. Almost. The task, though simple in and of its in gosh, tongue twister here, though simple in and of itself, and done every week since trash pickup had been invented, felt normal. He'd had this chore as a child and teenager at home, and even after he'd moved out, but never like this, never solely on his own, far away from everything and everyone he knew. So because of that, the task itself felt new and good. Wesley slipped his boots on, tied them tight, and stepped outside. No reason for a coat, not for so short a trip. Frigid air took his breath away and felt as though the iciness crawled through the tiny holes in the fabric of his shirt and jeans, intent on touching its icy tendrils against his skin, leaving goosebumps in their wake. The light outside the door turned on the moment the sensor detected movement. Other lights along the driveway would do the same. Five feet to the can felt a heck of a lot longer, and he trudged carefully through the new layer of snow the afternoon storm had deposited. Wesley picked up the steel trash can by the handles on either side and slowly began walking towards the open gate road. The one thing he hadn't specified in all the lists of items he'd sent the lawyer was a trash can on rollers. Well, it was bound to be one thing he hadn't thought of. The trash can was definitely it. Tree branches swayed the tiniest bit, only whatever breeze blew through them barely managed the strength to displace the snow that had gathered on them. All was, for the most part, still and quiet. Plumes of warm breath escaped his mouth while he huffed and puffed his way down the driveway. The other outdoor lights turned on, and the ones no longer detecting movement dimmed. He'd definitely be heading into town the next morning for a different trash can, and he definitely wanted some hot chocolate when he returned to the house. Three quarters of the way to the road now, still huffing and puffing, still annoyed with himself for not putting his winter coat and gloves on. Even gloves without the coat would have been an improvement. The wind gusted momentarily, a reminder that a hat might have been a smart move too. Wesley. Wesley froze. Had he heard his name? What if... No. No, that would be ridiculous. He couldn't have. Could he? It had just been a whisper, barely enough to make out the enunciation of his name. Ground yourself. The voice of reason inside his head demanded obedience. The wind blew a bit stronger, and the way it wafted through the trees made an odd sound in the silence. His mind simply likened the noise to his fear of being discovered. Nobody could have found him this quickly. Nope. Uncle Ronald was persistent. But that persistent? Unlikely. My imagination, see? That made a lot more sense. The lights around him began to dim, no longer sensing movement. How long had he been standing there? Too long. His hands felt like ice and holding the metal handles didn't help. Wesley trudged forward, only the lights didn't turn back on and he could barely see any lights from the house. Wonderful. Or as one of his former co-workers used to mutter instead of using a situationally called for obscenity, super. The recent snow, combined with what had fallen previously, offered enough illumination to the road that Wesley didn't sweat it. Actually, sweating might have been preferable to freezing. He finally set the can down by the side of the road, blew warm air onto his hands, and turned around. He also made a second mental note. 
Aside from getting a new trash can, he'd also have to look at the instruction book for the lights to find out what the deal was. A sensor setting he hadn't been aware of? A loose connection with the solar charger, thereby causing a more reserved functionality? Wait, reserved functionality? That sounded like an impressive explanation for a loose wire or weird setting. Wesley. Okay, not funny. Not funny at all. Hearing his name once could be dismissed as a strange coincidence. But twice? What were the odds of having another gust of air come through and produce the same exact noise that just happened to sound like his name? Who's there? He shouted and realized he'd just done exactly what every potential victim in nearly every horror movie ever did. The situation didn't bode well. Wesley stood as still as he could, tried not to shiver, and instead listened. Nothing moved. Nothing he could hear, at least. He should be able to hear someone in the wooded area nearby, even if they'd concealed themselves. Nothing. If somebody actually was there, it stood to reason they could see him. What was their endgame, then? Scare him? Something worse? They hadn't gotten close enough to set off a camera earlier, so they were obviously keeping their distance. He took a tentative step forward, then another. At least he'd had the foresight to wear boots. He could run. Still no noise to the left or right. Still no help from any lights coming from the house. Another step. Only the light crunch of his footfalls on the ground sounded. He reached inside his pants pocket for his cell phone, swiped the screen from left to right, and the panic button appeared. This part of his alarm system was tied into both his vehicle and home. Once pushed, all lights inside and outside would turn on, all cameras would begin recording, police would be notified of his location by text and email, the car alarm would sound, and the indoor alarm as well. All you-know-what would essentially break loose. Another step. No sounds of movement from either side of the driveway. No deer, no rabbits, no chipmunks, no people. Was his uncle so devious? Would the man really go to such an extent to terrify Wesley? Yes, Missy would. Another step. Two lights in that zone of the driveway activated. Wesley closed his eyes and stood completely still. He continued to listen for any noise betraying movement, and he stood ready to bolt, bolt in any direction opposite a noise. Nothing. A few seconds ticked by. Still nothing. A few more. Nothing. Okay. He opened his eyes and lifted his foot to take a step. Wesley froze. Another set of footprints. Coming down the driveway towards the street. A set that followed him step for step. Just behind and inside his own. Smaller feet than his, yet distinct. Distinctly human. Shoe prints. Someone walked with him walked right behind him the entire way and he hadn't heard. How was that possible? How could he not know? A noise sounded to his left, a soft pelting sound. He tried to locate anything moving or what it might be. Then the sound expanded exponentially, exploded all around him now. Snow fell, a few flakes at first, then a squall. Everything around him found itself blanketed in a sheet of white. Wesley ran. He raced towards the house where the lights turned on all around him, detecting his movement and that of the storm. He opened the front door, rushed through, and slammed it shut behind him. Okay, Sylvia, lockdown. Sylvia, incidentally, is his computer's name. He actually has named it. Okay. So, that kind of ties in with the whole Gamma Gamma thing in the very beginning of it as well. He has just forgotten. Um... The uh, next sequence I have 
Unfortunately for him, because Wesley does not want to interact with anybody around him at all. He doesn't want people calling him by his first name. He wants to be called Mr. Trailer. He doesn't want anyone recognizing him, wanting him, wondering when they're going to be seeing him again. He, he just wants that anonymity, oh my God, the anonymous nature of being up there so that people, if they don't recognize him, word will not get back to his uncle. But he ends up at the emergency room in the Sault Ste. Marie twice, much to his chagrin. And while there, he meets a doctor, Clark Matsuda. And the doctor, um, at one point, Wesley does not want to be put under for anesthesia. And the doctor shows him a picture of when he was a child in Japan from his back looking at a cherry blossom. And Wesley ends up falling asleep to this, this memory of the, of the doctor's memory of the cherry blossom, goes into surgery, and as cold as Wesley can be and is not unfeeling but just wanting a distance when he comes out of anesthesia or when he's drugged with morphine or anything else from pain his mind opens up he lets go and he becomes a very very different person not nearly as guarded um, which I think if it doesn't sound like a romance so far from the two sections of the book I've read but with this you get to see a little different side of him as he is coming out of anesthesia around the doctor Okay. So, this picks up after his appendix has burst, and he's just come out of surgery. Pink. Wesley remembered seeing pink. That was new. So many things in his life had been red, and a little of it good. Bad situations? Red. His uncles? Red. Working at the hospital? Red. So much red. Only this? This was different. Pink. Pinkish red. Where had it come from? Japan. Ah, that kind of red. Cherry red. Cherries. No, not cherries, but something cherry. Cherry blossoms. That's what they'd been. Nature. Beautiful nature. Wesley had never been to Japan. Heck, he'd never really been out of the country except to Canada, which the few friends he had over the years joked that it didn't count. Friends whose names he couldn't currently remember. Why? Everything remained in a haze. A red haze. A cherry blossom haze. Someone tried talking to him, called him Dear. That's Mr. Dear. He tried to mouth the words, only nothing really came out. Maybe air. He'd get better. People were too familiar around the hospital, and they needed to be reminded some patients and visitors preferred to be called Mr. Mr. or something. Something more formal. Wesley felt a hand on his shoulder, or maybe his foot. It was next to his head. Shoulder. Head and shoulders. No, that was a massage oil. Shampoo. It was a shampoo. He struggled and finally opened his eyes. Scrubs. Scrubbies? Scrubs. Scrubbies wasn't a word. A female nurse, or a really, really beautiful man. She reached a hand out, gently massaged his shoulder. How's your pain, dear? Pain. Pain was why he was here, again, when he should have been home. Home, where the heart is, or was, and now where only memories lived. What was the question again? Right, pain. Wesley concentrated on his breathing, then attempted to stretch out and feel all the areas of his body and ascertain what he was feeling. Still a bit numb. A warm numbness. Medication. He'd be plenty sore later. They took out something. An appendage. Yes, they'd removed his appendage. No, that didn't sound right either. Asparagus? That sounded like a horrible appendage. I'm okay. His words came out slowly, but at least made sense. 
My name's Mr. Dears. Wesley swore he heard giggling. Why was she laughing? Still being too familiar with him? What if he didn't have a sense of humor? He'd have to tell them that when they sent him his survivor. Survey. They'd send him a survey. Two more voices came nearer, and he turned his head to see who they might be. One older man, older because he had wrinkles around his eyes, needed moisturizer. Lots and lots of moisturizer. Stephanopoulos. Dr. Stephanopoulos. Or Snuffle Up, I guess. Something like that. And the other one? Wesley felt a surge of warmth at the sight of the other man. Those brown eyes and the glint of light in them. Those brown eyes liked his green ones. The nurse must have given Wesley more medication to feel the kind of warmth he now did. So sweet. So soft. Mom and Dad would be so happy to know a doctor liked his eyes. Dr. Clarks. Such a strange name. Almost like there was more than one of him. Why Clarks? Wesley doubted he had enough stamina for two Clarks. That was some of the thoughts he had about just one of them. He's going to be pretty out of it for another hour or so, Dr. Snuffleupagus said to Dr. Clarks. You can see the incisions, and you're going to want to keep an eye on them when he comes out comes in to follow up with you. That's if he makes an appointment with me, Dr. Clarks answered. Who wouldn't make a follow-up appointment with him? That was silly. Who'd miss a chance to look into those eyes, stare at that face, dream about greener pasties? Pastures. You may have to persuade him then, Dr. Snuffleupagus added. No, no, no persuading. No getting someone else to come into the office and see Dr. Clarks. Wesley would be happy to keep the man's attention. He's not easy to persuade. I'm pretty sure the man hates me, Stephen. No, hate might be too tame a word. Probably despises me. Stephen. That was the other doctor's name. Stephen. Old man's name. So who the heck was Dr. Snuffleupagus? And who would ever hate or depose, despise Dr. Clarks? Have you given any more thought to going back to school and becoming a surgeon? It crossed my mind. Dr. Clarks raised his hands. These hands could make me a lot of money one day. I have a 20 in my wallet. Wesley spoke, his speech slurred. Why, wait. You can start now. Stephen and the nurse burst out laughing. There they went being familiar again. Still think he hates you, Clark? Dr. Stephen again. That man sure liked to monopolize Dr. Clark's time. Wesley glanced at Dr. Clark's again and swore the man had blushed to the roots of his hair. But their eyes met, and Wesley swore he saw genuine warmth and something else in the doctor's gaze. Dr. Clark's finally spoke. Can I legally prescribe something that keeps him like this? So that's one of their meetings where you can start to see a little of it uh, coming between them. I don't know if we've got enough time. I do have. We do. We have oh. time for one more. I I thought you said that you had four sections. I had four sections. We did two so far. Yep. I got another one. Okay. Uh, while he's in the hospital, uh, Wesley meets a young. I think he's nine years old. A cancer patient named Joshua. And Joshua is a little bit above his years in some respects. And during the second visit after this particular surgery. Um, Wesley's walking around and he happens to run into Joshua again after hours. So this is just a little bit that uh, comes between them. Joshua? The boy turned and faced him, eyes opening wide, probably surprised seeing Wesley again as a patient instead of a visitor. Wesley? I heard you were here again. Still roaming the halls at night? Wesley smiled. Still haven't made any other friends? Smart Alec. He tried not to laugh. Laughing would hurt too much, but the boy had decent timing for a quip. 
you didn't give me much time to find someone else and keep up with me like you can. It's because I don't have a lot of time. Wesley froze. Had there been a development Joshua knew that he didn't? Surely if the boy had started to get worse, his parents would be with him 24-7. They'd find a way. Or was it just a feeling Joshua had? People sometimes knew, intuitively knew. Wesley hoped this wasn't the case now. What do you mean? He finally asked. Did he want to ask? No. However, he felt compelled to. Joshua grinned. Want to see something? Absolutely. Wesley waited for Joshua to stand, then followed him down the hall. Whatever the boy had meant by his statement clearly wouldn't be expanded upon, at least not yet. Or maybe it had been nothing. Or something. You're going to have to go slow. I'm in a little bit of pain. Dr. Clark told me you would be. Of course he did, Wesley sighed. Dr. Matsuda was having a fabulous time sharing details about his patients to people. Well, one patient anyway. They continued on down the hall, got buzzed into the pediatrics area, and Joshua led him farther yet, past the nurse's station, and into a room on the far left. Wesley couldn't believe his eyes. Drawings, pencil drawings, tons of drawings hung on the walls. Detailed, colorful, intricate, lifelike. Joshua, these are amazing. Wesley started closest to the door and moved down a little at a time. I recognize some of the people here at the hospital in them. One in particular, too. Though I think giving Rachel wings and a halo is a bit much. Joshua giggled. She's nice to me. Sometimes she sneaks me in chocolate chip cookies from Grandma Shirley's bakery when nobody's looking. They're really, really expensive. Even Dr. Clark won't go there. Still doesn't make her a saint, Wesley continued on. Some of the other pictures must have been Joshua's parents and siblings. Another motif took over after the faces. At these places, you drew them from memory? Yeah. Sometimes I had details because it's how I think it would look if I was really there. Boy sat down on his bed. I think about these places a lot, but I haven't drawn anything in a couple of months. What? He couldn't imagine why the boy would stop. These are really, really good, and I'm not just saying that. You have a gift. Joshua stared at him, just like you do. Boy's response had been so direct, so effortless, so adult, that Wesley momentarily forgot he was talking to a child. The words took him by surprise, too. He couldn't draw like Joshua, not even close. He didn't possess anything else resembling a gift either. So no, he didn't have a gift. Why did you stop drawing? Wesley continued the conversation. I just don't feel like it anymore. Wesley sensed a change in Joshua's tone, something underneath. Depression? Resignation? Depression from resignation? Nobody would ever dare be mean to this boy. But something had gotten into his head and was bringing him down. Clark. Clark had mentioned they'd all tried to get Joshua to smile over the past year to find a way to reach him. Well, Clark, well, Dr. Matsuda found a way to reach him earlier in the day before surgery. You should talk to Dr. Matsuda. Wesley hoped he wouldn't regret saying those words. Who? Dr. Clark. He's nice. He's in. Wesley bit his tongue. He means well, and yes, he can be nice. Just don't tell him I said that. It'll go right to his oversized ego. I get the impression he genuinely cares, though, especially about you. Did he help you? Medically? Yes, he did help. I... I don't like... Get it together, Wesley. You're talking to a child who doesn't understand your brand of psychosis. I was nervous about my operation earlier. I don't like being put under anesthesia. I hate feeling like I'm losing control of everything around me, and I don't have family anymore. Clark, um, Dr. Mit Dr. Clark told me to think of a place from my childhood that I loved. 
what did you imagine? I didn't. All paths of happiness in his life contained pain. His uncles thought of that. I don't have happy memories from that time. My uncles never liked me, and they found ways of ruining as much of my childhood as they could. Dr. Clark showed me a picture he keeps with him when he was a little boy in Japan. He's in a yard full of cherry blossoms. The picture is so colorful, so vivid. He described everything as he remembered it, and I actually felt like I could see and smell them. It was amazing, and I fell asleep thinking about those cherry blossoms. I've never done that before, and I don't know why I did then. He brought them to life for me just a, for just a moment. That's all it took. He brought you to life too, Joshua smiled, though it seemed a bit forced. The boy had bags under his eyes, and he didn't seem to have much strength this evening. I want to know what the cherry blossoms look like. I'll have to do a search on them on the internet. Time to go. I should let you rest. You look a little tired. I am, Joshua yawned. Sleep tight. Wesley headed towards the door, glancing at the pictures again as he went. Wesley? He turned towards Joshua, who started climbing under the sheets. Yeah? You changed the subject when I said you have a gift. Kid is growing up too fast. He shouldn't be able to notice something like that. It's because I don't have a gift, Joshua. Not everyone does, and that's okay. Wesley stared at the closest drawing on the wall. The face, the eyes, the shading, all of those details. Imagine being able to capture something like that. It's something I've learned to live with since before I was your age. You're wrong. You have one of the most important gifts of all. You just can't see it. Wesley chuckled. I admire your optimism, and I hope you never lose it. You'll slay many monsters with it. Joshua lay quietly for a moment, then continued. Wesley, are monsters real? Yes, he nodded, but not like in the movies. The real monsters are people, sometimes even people we know. Holy moly. So when do I get my copy of this book? I'll email to you so <laughs> For everyone else who has enjoyed uh, Christopher's reading as much as I have today, the book comes out at the end of the month. Um, you can learn more about it on his website and on his Amazon page, which are in the show notes. The book is titled The Beautiful Moment, and I wish I had the cover to show you. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's just gorgeous. Kudos to your cover designer. They did an awesome job. Chris Norris has done all the Falling Awake books for me, too, and she loved being able to do something different for this. She did a remarkable job. She did. It's fantastic. Um, I hope that you will come back after the book releases and read one more passage for us. Sure. I would I'll even let that. you pick it out. Oh, yay! That would be great. Okay. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you are here on the show today and that you're willing to share your work with us. It's just been a, a true joy knowing you these years, and I, I really appreciate your writing. Actually, it's me thanking you. Thank you for the offer about doing this. I love doing this. I love spending time with you. I love seeing you, even if it's got to be on Zoom. I enjoy this immensely. It's a, it's a privilege for me. Thank you. Thank you. Th thanks everybody I could go on for like another three hours about Christopher and, and his talent and his work and you really need to look this author up he's an amazing human being and, and his work is spectacular thank you very much Christopher for joining us um, pleasure and uh, again this I, I'm, I'm so grateful this has been a, a great opportunity to get a sneak peek of a release that isn't even 
on the shelves yet. It's it's such a joy. Thank you. Thanks very much. Have an awesome night. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.